and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie films to studio films, TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and... How to royally not fuck them up. <laughs> not fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. That'll do, that'll do. Uh, there we go. Who are you? I'm Dom Lenoir. Why are you introing the podcast? Because I'm sat in a little chalet with uh, director Jack Spring and producer Charles Alderson of... <laughs> The Filmmakers Podcast. No. And also, Jack <laughs> <laughs> isn't, but he could be, honorary guest. Because on this very fine day, we are doing a special of Northern Heist comedy and comedy sensation, Three Day Millionaire. Ooh. Oh, yeah, man. We have a very special guest for you. Not It isn't just me. Uh, it is the director of Three Day Millionaire. Three day millionaire. Laughing at my mispronunciation. How long have we been doing press for? Of three day millionaire, Jack Spring. Hello, mate. Hello, buddy. How are we? Oh, we're good. This I, is well, nice. I know exactly how you are because we've been on the road together for a few weeks. <laughs> we've just made a movie together. Yep. Um, yeah. Been upset about the hot tub. We've arrived at our location here, and Dom has been literally storming around like a, a what in a teacup? A storm in a teacup for the last 10 15 minutes because the hot tub had no water in it when you arrived. <laughs> Outrageous. I've been saying all the mics, Jack's just been chilling and Don's been fuming. Then you call someone a bit of a, a shit as well on the phone. Uh, I, I had a bit of a. I, I called them an arsehole and they were, but uh, let's uh, uh, leave it at that. And <laughs> back to Jack, onto his. Yeah, uh, back he was to about to anecdote away. Um, yeah. So let's give him free reign. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're on tour. We're yeah. on tour. This is uh, we're about halfway through the tour now, aren't we? Mm. I think this is the bottom of the first row of dates on the poster. Yes, um, we're in Hull, um, which is obviously very close to Grimsby, uh, where the film is set and the town that the the film's about. And um, yeah, we're looking pretty close to a sellout tonight, aren't we? It's a very very good attendance. Uh, I'm buzzing actually, and it, it, it's nice. It's just, it's nice how we've been able to find these independent cinemas. Um, mm. Tonight we're working with the Hull Independent Cinema Society, mm. which has been brilliant because they're like us, independent film enthusiasts, and they've done a lot of work uh, in promoting this, and we've got yep. an amazing attendance because of that. Mm. Um, I love that, because it's so hard to get people to come to see cinema anyway. When you're doing a Q&A tour, it does help. You know, for anyone out there, it's really worth doing. If you've got a film released, even if you just put it on iTunes, do a Q&A tour. Literally tour around the country. Cinemas will have you. Dom has been our tour yes. manager, and he's done an amazing job to get the cinemas that we have got on this tour. It has Superb. been incredible. But you can do it. If you're a filmmaker, yeah. don't not do it. Don't think you can't put your film in the cinema. You can. There's you some, can. I mean, there's some great things about that. Some things that haven't happened on the tour is singing I Want It That Away by Backstreet Boys. Um, that hasn't happened. still time. There, there hasn't been has lots it not happened? Of, there hasn't been lots of jokes about um, very full cars full of merchandising and whether it's going to fit. That, there's not been enough jokes about that, but there has been. About a thousand puns from Dom Lamar. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, every yes, every other word. That hasn't there just. You can't, I mean, you can't move with Lenar around. And for all, I mean, I would like to say he has been a remarkably excellent tour manager. Oh, thank you. The cinemas have all been beautiful. Ticket sales have been really good. The well. accommodation has been amazing. The organisation. Mm -hmm. 
despite my best efforts, uh, have, has been superb. Um, but the fucking puns, man. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's I'm every, kidding. I'm Jack, Jack wasn't ready for it. He's, he's coming cold turkey to uh, yeah. the puns. I, I've, I've started to enjoy them. I, uh, yeah, yeah. You actually did one the other day as well, didn't you? You'd yeah. Go, you just went, oh, I did one. I've, no, I've the puns are good, man. It's, uh, it's like action. being kind of like, I feel like we're like three kind of boy scouts. Mm. Yeah. On a uh, on a little adventure, it's it quite is, nice. isn't it? We're trying to. Think, it's like Stand by Me, and we're going to find the dead body in the woods. Yeah. That's mm. kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Dom's buried a dead body somewhere. We've got to go find it. Yeah, it was, it was a cake to uh, to eat later. It, it basically, like a Dom, squirrel. The other thing as well about Dom and I love him to pieces is he will go for cake. Like as soon as you arrive somewhere, we, we arrive here to this hot tub place. <laughs> we walk in the pub. The lady goes, oh, well, "Can I get you a drink?" He went, "Maybe, but I want to know what your cakes are first <laughs> in the pub." It's amazing. We, we went straight from cr- cakes. And we graduated to the dessert board, yeah, yeah. and I just added an apple crumble, and it was a, it was a great afternoon deployment. It did look uh, good, to be fair. I've never been a fan of cakes. Oh, okay. Cakes and popcorn are my two things. Yeah. Like, because people people over, you know, no one actually likes cake. Right? I We're socially conditioned to like cake. Yeah, right? you, you're never right. like you're never in Sainsbury's. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I know. I'll get I'll get a big mm. toy sponge now. You give you're given them, and you have yeah. to be polite about them. You have to say, oh yeah, well, this is the, this is I'm, some moist sponge. I'm the opposite. Of that. Yeah, I love a bit of moist sponge yeah. myself. Oh, but how often is it moist though? That's also the question. It's not got a very good hit rate. No, it hasn't. Yeah, but that's no, not the point. It, it, you think it has. Yeah, the memory of that childhood that's soggy, it. That's soggy it. social Victoria conditioning. Sponge. You don't yeah. actually it like is, it. No, it is. It is social conditioning. Like when I used to get thing. out from school, you know, suffering school, and then you get home, and like, there would there'd be a cake in the car waiting, like a muffin or something, what? or a little bit of lemon drizzle or something. Your parents gave you <laughs> a cake yeah. waiting when you came. I think it was, it was, like, I think it was an incentive <laughs> because yeah. I was I was a bit of a naughty kid. So yeah, yeah, I can't imagine that. Oh no, yeah. How many times did you get kicked? out of school uh, no comment um, serious uh, yeah yeah I was, I was a proper ADHD poster child um, wow that yeah. was you on the poster yes exactly there's a, there's a few of them in the room we actually just as a quick sidebar we, me and Jack had a, a very one. interesting uh, conversation Giles was there but mm, I wasn't listening he wasn't listening uh, about the I mean Jack you can go into it because I, I find it really interesting mm. but I really related on how you how, how ADHD people actually are very good filmmakers because they're hyper aware of people's reactions which makes us great directors mm. yeah I mean one of the ADHDs I, I only got diagnosed with, with my old kind of adult ADHD a couple of years ago I was doing my script analysis for a TV pilot and it was just taking me a really fucking long time because I couldn't concentrate and I thought right something's off here mm. and uh, yeah I got diagnosed and even a diagnosis process right is um, it, it's not a there's not like a gene wrong or there's not a thing they can actually look for scientifically it's um, you know you do a questionnaire and your parents talk about you as a kid but yeah one of the superpowers of ADHD is you have a, a far heightened emotional awareness mm. compared to like normal brain people whatever you want to call them like you read so much more into body language and you know from a young age I could tell when someone was lying when someone was upset even though they were saying they were fine you know to, to a high, high a lot higher degree than I think people without ADHD can and you know a lot of us Every every ADHD person is creative. Not every creative person has ADHD, but you know, mm. an awful lot of us in the film industry, whether we know it or not, have probably got it. And you know, another ADHD thing is you're attracted to other ADHD people. Yeah, you know, mm. like so. You know, if you're, you're they like, understand all of my mates have probably got ADHD. You mm. know, all, most of my mates in the film industry. I think every single actor on three day, we all talked about it, whether we were diagnosed or not. We probably all got ADHD. You know, but I think we our, our our industry. You know, because we're we're kind of merchants of emotion, and we're good at that, and we yeah we understand emotion far better than normal brain people. Yeah, and, and I think that that's always what it was for me. Is like I could experience emotions at the level I needed to, 
by watching films and creating stories. Whereas in everyday interactions, it felt like I was on a different mm. level to other people. Mm. Uh, so film is like my my sort of outlet of that, like watching, when I watch a really good film, that's like my ultimate like catharsis yeah. or when I create one. But yeah. where do you think this is? Why, why do you think we go down this creative route? Because we do have, our attention is short, we're saying, but yet when we're making a film, you can't be, you know, watching Jack on set. He was the most attentive, most focused. Mm. He knew exactly what he wanted. That's not, I wasn't watching someone with ADHD. So yeah. how do we compartmentalize this? So AD, ADHD, if you care about what you're doing, you know, mm. you're probably done, you know, yes. going back to school. There were certain subjects where you were fucking gripped and you have tunnel yes. vision and, you know, like. And you're superhuman when, you, uh, when yeah. you get focused. Honestly, yeah, it's unbelievable. But if you don't give a fuck about what you're doing, your attention span, you know, is gone. So on set, you know, I, I, you know, we do mm, all okay. of the raising manual scripts or everything to get to that point on set because mm. that is what you really fucking care about. You know, mm. and like, yeah, nothing... Nothing There's else no matters. greater buzz. And yeah, you you are in a, you're like a horse with blinkers on, you know, mm. but if it's, I remember at school, you know, if there's subjects I didn't care about or, you know, even like I worked at Waitrose when I was a kid and I couldn't give a toss, obviously. And then, um, yeah, like you're, you're just not engaged. Yeah. I like their food though. <laughs> just bring it back to cake. I thought you were going to say cake. <laughs> so yeah. Bring it back to cake. Yeah. I find it really interesting because I, 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 I must be as well. You know, I've never been diagnosed with it, but it's, I'm constantly jumping from one thing to the other when I'm prepping, mm. when I'm doing stuff. There's, oh, I've got to do that. I don't know if mm. your brains work the yeah. same, but I, I literally, if I don't write stuff down, it's, mm. I have this bigger, bigger, bigger problem in my head and it keeps ticking yeah. away. Oh my yeah. God, you've got to do that. Oh my God, oh my yeah. God. And that fear. So what I do now is I write these lists, do, mm. do, do, and to-do yeah. lists, and I cross them off and then I write a whole new to-do list yeah. on the next page yeah. after I've crossed those ones off. Yeah. Are we all this, is this the kind of thing so that do, all do filmmakers do? you know why? Do? So I, yeah. I had this explained by the ADHD doctor. Um, so mm. ADHD, your, your front right, your frontal right cortex, yeah. which is your part of your brain, um, that's responsible for control. It basically doesn't grow much since childhood. And you look at any kid ADHD or not, and you know, they're jumpy, whizzy, you know, they're, they'll climb on things, they'll do this. Um, ADHD folks, their brain doesn't really grow. And there's different, you know, theories as to why that happens, you know, like stress in the womb and all these like cortisol, blah, blah, blah. But the front right cortex is the, the way he described it, which makes sense to me. It's a little bit like a traffic warden, right? A crossroads, like imagine a four way crossroads. So people yeah. without ADHD, the traffic warden is awake and present and stops you know lets one thought in at a time adhd people and this is why they give them like stimulus drugs because this never made sense to me why are you giving kids you know amphetamines mm. to mm. get them to concentrate more it's because that police officer is basically asleep or not doing it very well so it lets all these thoughts in and then mm. that's why you get a million things going on in your head at a time and it's hard to turn off and all this shit um so yeah that's why they give kids with adhd amphetamines because it just turns that part of the brain on right. and then you're able to yeah you know, and that that makes sense actually because when yeah when you when you got so much to sort, I mean like this tour like it came out of nowhere and we, I had to sort so many different venues and so many different moving pieces. Mm. It was really challenging at the start, and then as more of the pieces fall into to place, suddenly the, you, those sort of those things get narrowed down. and It becomes a lot easier uh, mm. once you've got some foundations. But I think that's that's one of those things. Is without foundations, it's very hard. Um, you know, that's kind of my script writing process as well. Is, yeah, is I, like, I like to get it out and do the first draft so I can see it and then it's out on the page. And then, yeah. you know, so I mean, I'd be interested to know about what your process is in terms of writing both of you, like Giles as producer, Jack as director, when Three Day Millionaire came to you, how you got stuck into it. Well, so from producing side then to yeah, jump in, in terms first. of like script notes, yeah, got I a project, it's arrived to you. What's your input producer? What's your input director? As a producer, I instantly think, how can this 
do well because I'm not now thinking of as a director I'm not going okay here's how I'd shoot this because that's what gets me excited I'm like oh okay we could do there's a camera here we could do this wouldn't it be great if an actor came from this side and what this shot could be here as a producer I'm thinking about the practicalities of it straight away I'm reading that script in a totally different sense I'm still reading it as a viewer I'm still reading it and going through it in how can this do well? Why do I want to do this? That's my first thought. As soon as I've done that and I've gone through that process and gone, do I want to work with the people behind it? And in Jack's case, I did. Um, it was then a case of how do you practically put this together? You know, you've how many locations you've got in here that's going to cost. How can you get from the day? Can we do these in the same place? Can the kitchen area of that one of Budgie's mum's house say, can the bedroom be in the same place building even though it's a totally different house. That's my first thought. How do I do that? Because I've got to move my crew around. I've got to make sure all that's done. So I'm reading scripts once I've already established the fact that I want to do it in a different light. It's a different It's a different brain set mm. than the director. Producer hat. Yeah, it's a producer hat. You're thinking about money. You're thinking about saving money. You're thinking about practicalities of it. How many days shoot? It literally, and then you start breaking it down into, okay, let's let's do all this. Go mm. through it with the line producer, go through it with the production designer, go through it with the director, in this case, Jack. How we're going to make Three Day Millionaire in the space of time we have with the money we have. And I think it helps that you've been a director as well, because in the back of your mind, I mean, like I produce so that I can direct what I want to direct without having to compromise. Like I, I will find a way to find a solution. And it helps to know what a director is thinking to do that. So you're not you're thinking, all right, well, what does Jack want? How am I going to get it to him on the budget without him feeling like he's been let down or that you know that his vision has been squashed? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know I asked early to see a shot list and see so and it's something for directors out there, for a producer or a set designer or whatever, ask to see those shot lists. This isn't anything on you worried about your what you're going to shoot, really, even though that's also in the back of your mind as well. It's actually the practicalities of how to get on board. Get on board. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to do, you've got two close-ups here. You're okay. I can see from your storyboard, you've got this, this, how are we actually going to manage that? And I, I look at that and I go, okay, my director's eye goes on that instant and go, okay, well, cool. Well, if that means if he or she wants this shot here and this one, they'll probably want this one as well. Okay, so that'll take this amount of time. Therefore, we need this location for definitely half a day because we've got the ins and outs. So it's all these things that you suddenly do and then you think about how much it's going to cost for certain camera moves if it's the second floor. Okay, you know, he wants to shoot through the window. How are you going to get the camera up there? You need a crane. All those things go through your mind and then you just start speaking to the director about it. And speaking to the director, because I've also heard about about your um, your infamous or famous um, script breakdowning that you've uh, sort of anecdoted to us a, a few times, and and I'd be really interested. I think the audience would be interested in just what that involves in terms of what you're breaking down into the scenes, because you're not breaking it down as a producer; you're breaking down as a director. Correct. Yeah. So by the time we got to that point, you know, we have some money in, you know, so we know it's kind of going to happen, and you know that's what we're doing now. And the next film is, you know at least 10, 12 weeks of script analysis, I call it. Uh, and I've already done six weeks of storyboarding. So I've kind of, I draw them out, you know, the whole film, you know, literally a snowman because my drawing is not very good, but that's all you need. You know, you're just working out for yourself. Is this a two shot? Is this a single? What shots do I need to cover the scene? And, and you kind of, you birth the style of it through that. And then you give that to the DOP and they light it and kind of my extent uh, to the visual input is kind of done really. Um, but yeah, script analysis, um, it is... S- 60% of my job you know um, 
is where essentially you make the decisions on how you're going to direct the scenes. You know, so you, I, I think as a director, you're just a professional problem solver, um, and you are just in this process solving the scenes emotionally. You know, so for every line of script, there's dozens, of, if not hundreds, of different ways you could say the line. Um, you know, and and your intuitive read is probably quite close to what you end up doing, but you work, you solve it emotionally, and then put it into kind of essentially verbs how you're going to direct the actors you know and make it playable direction rather than just mm. oh you're sad here you're happy here you know because if you know if you say to me in a script um let me buy you dinner um you could be saying that because you're apologizing to me you could be saying that because you want to fuck me you could be saying that because you want to entice me and beat me up you know there's a hundred different ways and all of those things and all of them things probably um and you know so, so really you're looking for the subtext and actually to give some of the options or at least be aware of what the main options might be for those subtext. Yeah. And you know, you have three or four options for each line and then within them, different types of subtext, three or four, you know, bits of playable direction you can give. And you know, there's 75% of the time the actor, you know, that, well, they do do the same level of homework, but obviously just for their character. And, um, you know, so you don't, you know, you use a minimal amount of the homework you've done, but you've kind of got to be, you know, the way that I do my homework is as if they've never acted before, never, you know, don't speak English, you know, like, I, I, you know, I kind of pride myself on my homework and it just means that when you're going to rehearsal, you know, you're prepared and that rehearsal time is a, a fucking real good use of money uh, and time because then by the time you're on set, 95% of your decisions have been made and, you know, it's usually just a little bit of intuition if something's going wrong or, you you know, if it's not quite working on the day, you go back to one of your other options. You're basically taking away as much of the making it up as you go along as possible um, mm. because you, you'll get caught out, especially being a young director, you know, cast crew will latch on straight away if you're not prepared and you know, I've always been like this you know from from Destination Jewsbury and short films before that you know I'm I'm pretty homework mad and, and I suppose it's also finding the the, the goal of, of the actor and the scene like what they're trying to get from yeah, the, the intention, person and, yeah. and the intention exactly yeah, yeah. even like you know you list out I do uh, not only do I do all my scribblings on the script but I have a probably a 10 point massive type up that takes three or four pages on each scene that I do on my laptop you know, like the wins and losses, the emotional events, the domestic events, the objective of each character, the spines of each character, which is their kind of desire through their, their, the whole story of their life and, you know, how they've changed in that scene and, you know, all of these things that, you know, you, you just you just prepped. Where, where did you learn all this stuff? I mean, it, it's, it's obviously, it's part of the past of a director, but to really go into, a lot of directors don't know how to work with actors. Mm, like, this, is, this is all very in-depth stuff. Where mm. did you learn this? I read two books. What were the books? <laughs> Just two. Yeah. yeah, literally, I read two books. Genuinely, I um, I read them one short film before I directed Destination Jewelry, which was my first feature film. Um, there is called Directing Actors um, by Judith Weston. Yep, I know it's a great uh, yeah. one. And classic. And there's another yeah. Judith Weston book. Uh, I can't remember the title, but I read them two books, and them two books are basically about script analysis and how. Because I. Growing up as a kid, you know, I started making films when I was 13, so I, I always knew what I wanted in my head, you know, again, I just intuitive read. But the bit I struggled with not not being an actor um, was how to communicate what's going on in my head to actors. So reading them two books, A, taught me what playable direction is, and then B, helped me work out how to harvest that from a script and be prepped and how to rehearse, you know, because, yeah, you're right, a lot, of, a lot of directors don't know how to work with actors and... You know, it's quite shocking when, you know, you are essentially the head of department of the actors as well as the conductor of the orchestra, um, that you don't know how to work with them and 
yeah, I've heard many a horror story. Isn't it amazing? I, I find that fascinating. I'm trying to look up that Judith Weston book for you because I think we need to put that in the show notes. It's, uh, it's a film director's intuition. That's the other one. That's the other oh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think I've read, I've definitely read one of those. I'm not sure if I've read both. I, I really like that. I, for me, books are very important Like before going on set, just even if it's visual references, if it's researching what other directors have done. I, I really get, inspired by that because sometimes you can get a block like when you're doing your storyboards and you sit there and I do a lot of prep as well I spend a lot of time going through my shot list how I'm going to do this I love spending time in the locations as well if I can get there months before I will because now I visualize everything how the scene's going to play out rather than you're imagining it it's like reading a book and then like a Harry Potter and then you watch it and it's a totally different Harry Potter's probably not the best example of that because it's pretty much how it is in the book. But you know what I mean? It's that feeling. So for me as a director, it's the same thing. You're going, oh, I imagine they're going to walk from this window, they're going there. But actually then you find the location, you go, ah, oh, okay, I've got to reimagine it again. So the sooner I can get in my locations, the better. But I, I find it amazing that, that people who want to direct don't learn how to speak to actors. Yeah. Back when I was acting the amount of people who didn't know how to talk to me was incredible. It's criminal, man. And, how can and, you be taken away when you can't, you absolutely. don't know how to work it's with outrageous. the people that you and work they'd, with? They'd, be, they'd, they'd almost get angry with you. They'd almost, they wouldn't know how to say it. They wouldn't know how to speak to you. And you as an actor, after a take, you need instant gratification. You need someone to go, that was great, nice one. Give me a moment. I just need to speak to the DP. Mm. I need to speak to lighting before I come back to you. Or you go straight to them. If you don't say anything, the actor goes, was our shit instantly yeah. because that's their that's how they feel yeah. it's how actors feel it's like oh god i fucked that up they're not saying anything oh they're all talking amongst themselves they're whispering over there yeah. that's about me oh my yeah. god that goes in the heads every single yeah. take so you have to say something even if it's, that was nice even mm. if you didn't think it whatever it is that you need to do to get the performance from them mm. fist bumps fist bumps right fist bumps yeah. they, they then go okay cool yeah. High fives. And if they trust you as a director as well, if they know that you've said before, yeah, I didn't, okay, well, there's something missing here. Uh, let's try this intention now. And then when they nail that, you go, brilliant. Now they trust you. So next time when you say, yes, I got that, they believe you, even if they might not have felt it. It's like, it's all right. It showed on the, yeah. on the screen. I think also as well, like, I, I mean, what you should be prepping and I mean, this is, this is kind of how I feel about, uh, I'm very actor led now. I started off in camera, but that's, that's mm. my focus is, is actors and, and emotions. Cause that's the stuff that makes you feel at the end of the day, the music and, and the cinematography all adds to that. But it, it, the core of it is that, but if you've got a good cinematographer, you've got good production design, you've got good costumes, all of that stuff is conveyed you can convey that vision in advance and i'm not saying you should leave them to it but if you've if you've got good people on your team they will know roughly what to do for the setups the actors if you haven't conveyed that information or you've just sent them the script mm. they need the direction they they need to be to be guided in in the way that you want for it to be authentic and that really should be the the focus i, I think for well, that's why it's drama. called direction directing you're directing the vision of this piece but like you say there's so many amazing directors who don't really direct actors, you know, uh, Ridley mm. Scott's one of those very, very famous ones who... He breaks them down with millions of takes. Yes, with millions of takes, but he also then, he'll just go, again, again. And and you, as an actor, you're like, okay, what, what is that? What am I getting? You know, Dave, What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? But what, what I found fascinating about working with you, Jack, and watching your style was that you would do a lot of takes. And me as an indie filmmaker would go, oh, time, and I'm the producer, go, no, no, we've got to move on. We'd... Uh, but what it did do was it broke down the wall of, I feel awkward, or I'm not sure I'm getting this until the end, they got this 
angsty, raw kind of, ah, I'm going to give you this fire. And that was fantastic because that's what you wanted. It came across that way, but it, I think it took a while for people to see that. And it was like, it, it, it's fascinating. It was like, okay, right. Now I see. It's weird because I, I don't feel like I do that many. Every director, you know, I, I have not spent time watching other directors work really. So yeah, but I mean, maybe compared to others I do, it's just kind of, I'll go until I'm happy. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not leaving set unless I'm, happy and you know even in the edit if if the editor has picked the wrong take i know straight away that i wouldn't yeah. have, i wouldn't have left set with that um and it can be one little thing off but we're going again you know it's my job at the end of the day right people put millions of pounds into your films it's you know you, you are the uh the gatekeeper as to what gets out right and yeah. you know it's for the sake of going another 10 minutes you know to get a performance that works emotionally um i agree at the end of the day look you crew you've got to be good to your crew and as long as you've got them on side to say, look, give me another, please, do you mind? I, I, it will be worth it. But the time when everyone's knackered and it's raining and they've been working, slogging their guts out for you, that's why you've got to be good to them. You know, that's why you really have to try and look after them. And it was, it, you know, it was difficult on this job. There was a lot of things that were challenging. Like you know? shooting in the summer. Like shooting in the summer, like shooting with when it was the busiest time for British filmmaking that's ever been. All crew were gone. You know, it was really hard to get hold of people. We were losing people left, right and centre before post -COVID we Post-Covid boom. Yeah, the post-Covid boom. We're shooting in Covid as well. And, and, and what we wanted to do, and Jack certainly made a good point for this, was we wanted to hire local crew. That was, so you want to talk about that? Because I find that was brilliant it was just something yes let's see who we can get locally yeah. so it's all financed set shot in grimsby um every single frame of it and um it's where all my dad's side of the family from i'm a massive grimsby town fan and um yeah you know i didn't just want to be a film that comes up there uses the wonderful town to shoot in calls in a load of favors and doesn't give much back you know mm -hmm. and i genuinely you know, and it's credit to you, you know, one of the things I feel we, you know, did really, really well while we were shooting was get as many kids from Grimsby on that set as, as humanly possible. Yeah. And I think we did. And, you know, the, the negative of Grimsby today or when we were filming there a year ago is, you know, if you're a professional in the film and TV world, you probably don't live in Grimsby because mm. all the work is in London, Manchester, maybe a little bit in Leeds. Made it tough for but, me. But pretty much, yeah, pretty much <laughs> nowhere else. Um, you know, you know, if you're a gaffer, you don't live in Grimsby because yeah. you know, you'd have to travel miles and miles for work every day. Um, but you know we we really did get everyone everyone on um that was humanly possible and um yeah you know they i think one of the things that makes me proudest is you know outside the actual finished product is the amount of kids that did work on our film that have now gone on even in a, within a year to do mm. pretty cool shit yeah and um absolutely yeah we uh, brought, we brought her, like millie hay was a perfect example we brought her on a script supervisor because uh, we lost ours before we even started shooting so I, myself and Alexa Wall, our line producer, were sharing for Whoa. the first week as I was trying to produce, as we were trying to sign deals and do distribution. And I think that's also why it was difficult. But then Millie came on and she'd, she'd done like script work before, but never been a script supervisor. And she learned. And now she's doing, you know, she's moving into the industry in a big way and that's lovely you know that wasn't the only person that happened with there was so many that worked with yeah. Caden Alley's now working at um my energy my energy is a full-time videographer Archie Fox a little weasel yeah he's now editing <laughs> Phoenix uh, yeah it's, there's they, loads there's they, loads there's so many there's so mm. many of the, our crew which were just wonderful and they were so nice people as well do you want to tell us what the film is about and then we can play the trailer 
Absolutely. So the term three-day millionaire is a, is common common in Grimsby and Hull and, and fishing communities. It is basically describes the trawlermen that would go out to land for three or four weeks at a time. They come back to land for three days, and it was fisherman folklore that if you went back to sea with coin in your pocket, your ship would sink. So what that meant is the lads all came back. They went down Freeman Street, which is like the Las Vegas Boulevard in Northeast Lincolnshire. Got on the piss for three days. Got these wonderful suits made every time they came back, and just spunked a month of wages before going back back out to sea. Uh, and that's kind of how the film starts. And and then the lads get told that the industry's died kind of overnight, which is kind of what happens in real life. Um, and they get roped into doing a heist on the company safe to uh, save their very way of lives. Parky's a look. We're on Butcher Boy, best place on earth. Welcome to Grimsby. <laughs> to the ocean we are born, and to the ocean we shall return. Grimsby is as dead as freaking dead Welks and Crabshire, I'm telling you. But the glory days are coming back. They are coming back. <laughs> three-day millionaires. That's what they called my dad and his mates back in the olden days. And in this town, you've got three days on land to blow a wage. That pretty much makes you a millionaire. Bar's pulled the plug. It's flogged the docks. Purchased by the Divine Residential Group. It's got a nice little ring to it, that, hasn't it? We need to do something. Bar is selling the docks. We're done. There is over 500 grand sitting in that bloody safe. The sort of money the likes of me and you, we don't come across too often. <laughs> not joking, are you? Fishermen, we are. Ocean's fucking four, we definitely are not. He's probably doing this with some big idea of how to save Grimsby. Okay, listen up. We have to get through three layers of security. Number one, the security guard at the docks. Number two, thumbprint access to the buildings. Number three, that's the coded lock to the safe itself. Without which, none of this will happen. You promised me that you weren't going to do anything stupid. Why are you being so naive? How did it go? Pretty good, thanks. Not too quick or anything. There we go. What a fantastic trailer that was. Indeed. <laughs> just well, happened instantly. We, we just There it was. Um, we got coffee and cigarettes to do that who were fantastic. I think it was something we really wanted to do, wasn't it? Was to not just put a trailer out that wasn't really well produced. Mm. As an indie film, it happens. You've got to go big on the trailer. You've got to go big. And as much as it cost us... Um, we thought that was so important that it didn't look average. It couldn't look like, you know, your mates edited this. It mm. had to look. Yes. Had the to shiz. look big. We have to be very careful what we say here. But, oh, really? um, we, <laughs> yes, we, we, we took it into our own hands a bit, didn't we? Yeah, um, we did. Uh, yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, coffee and cigarettes were great. And um, yes, I think putting a trailer out, uh, one of the worst things about Destination Jewelry, my first film was the trailer. Mm. It was fucking shite. And uh yeah, uh, I didn't want to make that same mistake again. You know, I cheaped out on it. You know, quite frankly, on that film, we didn't have the option um, to do anything else. But um, mm. but yes, we, you know, struggled. I think trying to edit with you and your mates a trailer together mm. when you're not a trailer it's, it's, editor. It, it, no, and it, it always annoys me when people people sort of treat it like it's the same thing as normal editing. It's not. It's, it's, it's really a, not. It's, it's an skill. astonishingly specific type yeah. of editing. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's, I mean, even, you know, Kevin Chicken, who edited the film and edited my last film and edits everything I do, I love him to bits, but I wouldn't let him go anywhere near this. Mm. He's a fantastic editor, but he, he would self-admit, you know, like, it's so so specific yeah. and you, you kind of have to have been doing this for years and years and years. Mm. And um, So we paid for a, yeah. a professional company to do this who yeah. do trailers. That's yeah. their job. And they can see what works and take the bits that work that we would never see. And we're so precious about our films. Yeah. And it's really difficult to see objectively when you're trying to do a trailer. So, I mean, again, look, indie filmmakers, don't often put that in the budget. It's just not there. You don't put trailer budget. But I think it's one of the most important things. It, it, you know, your, your poster and your trailer are the two things that will separate you from looking like an indie film or mm-hmm. looking like a big film. Yep. Yeah. No one wants to look window. like an indie film. You yeah. want to sell yourself big. And yeah. then, you don't and want to look it. like a market stall at the local market. You want to look like the Nike store. Exactly. On Street. Yep. Exactly. You know, that's that, it. That's and what that, you can do. And that's what you, but you have to pay for this kind of thing. Yeah. And speaking of trailers, uh, where some of your fabulous actors stayed uh, in a trailer park. <laughs> how, do you, how do you like that for a segue? What a... You're, there we wow, go. There check we go. you out, primo host. It's like my, uh, my crumble. <laughs> this ain't his first rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> Talk us through casting northern actors in the roles. First mm. of all, let's start with that. And then we'll work on to uh, casting names such as Colum. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the northern accent. Uh, northern actors, northern actors. Yep. Go for your northern accent. Northern, northern accent. Yeah, right, bag on How you doing? Yeah. Hey. Um, oh, no. so apologies to all my northern friends. <laughs> yeah. I love the north. I'm on the south, really. Um, <laughs> apologies to all my southern fans. <laughs> <laughs> so my my way of casting is again probably something like my prep that I probably swim against stream a little bit and do do a little bit differently to to most other directors. I watch every single tape that comes in you know we put it on spotlight and all the all the other places that you may find actors um with a scene for the for whatever character it is they send you a tape um and i love watching all of them because you know it's not a slight on casting directors but you know any any human that are you know are making decisions about characters you know your opinion on who the character is, you know, might be 1% different to the person sitting next to you. And, you know, ultimately you're the one directing them, you know, and it's your vision. Mm. And, you know, you've got to take responsibility for casting. And yeah, I think it's a bit lazy that directors don't watch all the tapes. I understand that, you know, some directors, their circumstances mean they can't or, the, you know, whatever. I, I get that. But in my position, I can. Um, so I do. And um, yeah, you know, they were, they were all essentially just the best, I thought they were the best for the role, and you know, I think the casting was smashing. And I think it was one is it's one of my biggest strengths. I think casting the right people. I think I think it's also it. It sometimes it comes down to taste, but it also comes down to what you're looking for in actors. I mean, I like to cast generally. I like to make emotional films, so I'm looking at who can do emotion, who can mm. who can react to other a- actors, who can be like in that moment and, and really go there to, you know, 10 with the anger mm. or the sad or the happy or, or whatever. There are some roles you literally do not need that in a film, but mm. I wouldn't want my lead in a main drama film being someone that can't go there. Mm. Whereas some people will look at it and they just say, well, they're a, they're a top actor. You should get them. You should be happy to have them. But for me, it's like that's not what the film is about. Yeah, um, and I, I think when you in, you know, maybe you feel the same about what you did in yours. Yeah, I mean, I, I send, most of the time I send them to three scenes to do. Um, one mm. is their kind of character, you know, they're, they're, it's their characters in different parts of their journey, or, or you know, their characters. To put it bluntly, sometimes being sad, sometimes being the showman or happy, or you know, whatever it is, just so I kind of am comfortable that I'm covering all bases. And yeah, you know, I, you know, like Melissa who played Demi, she. Uh, did one tape for me I was interested so I sent her a few more scenes and she ended up you know 
clearly working out what I was doing and sent me, I think, eight different scenes back from the mm. script. Um, it's clever. Just co- to covering off all angles. And I was like, okay, yep, great. You know, she was amazing. Well, and, she, um, that was really interesting because she came through Lucinda. And I think at the time we were looking for very specific Northern actors. And she's not. No. She's she's very, very Southern uh, actress, very Southern sounding and a voice generally. Yeah. And I think that was always a, okay, well, let's look at the Northern actors first. But yeah. what she did there was go, and this is great for any actors listening. And she went, no, I'm going to prove to you I can do this. Yeah. I mean, the Northern thing, I think we're probably overstating it because the, the Grimsby accent is very specific, you know, and, and I think, you know, as me being a Southerner or any Southern listeners uh, sometimes can paint the North with one brush. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, we, we knew, you know, whether they gravy were... Gravy brush. Gravy brush. Whether they were from, you know, Newcastle or Southampton, you know, we knew that they'd have to get an accent coach and, mm. you know, it's a, it was... I mean, it, it, it probably subconsciously helped me link them to the character if they had a northern accent because they were closer to the character. But yeah, I, you know, and, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's about the heart. Yeah, I want to get the right person. rather than the specifics. Yeah, and, and that's another thing I kind of I sometimes think about with with actors. It's 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 really a, it's about capturing the essence of someone. Sometimes that is more of a hook to the audience oh, than specific. I like casting actors who I feel are as close to the characters in real life as humanly possible, you know, and I basically try and get an understanding of them as people quite early on, you know, and essentially what, what their spine is as real humans. So what, what gets them out of bed in the morning? Is it to make as much money? Is it to impress their dad? Is it external validation? Whatever it is, we've all got them as, you know, we all have a drive as humans and, you know, we, we might not often talk about that, but, but mm-hmm. we all do. Um, and, I've by this point I've done my script analysis or at least you know to to I'm mean, through it to an extent where I know what my characters in the script spines are and I tend to cast real life people who have similar spines because then the big decisions that the character makes throughout the script make sense to them because they're determined by the spine you know for example if your character spine is to impress your dad or get validated by your dad and you're in a scene where there's a shit ton of money on the floor you know you're probably going to do the thing that would you know, impress your dad most, you know, mm. or, or make that, you know, we, we, our, our major life decisions, you know, do we go direct something in Hollywood? No, because our spine is to care for our family who are here in London. You know, like we, we the big decisions we make are determined by our spine. And so, yeah, long story short, I, I like to get to know them as real people before I say A on A. And, um, you know, I was able to do it this, you know, this was during COVID. So we had Zooms. Mm-hmm. I did go up to take James Burroughs to Grimsby Chesterfield because he lives uh, around the corner from for Chesterfield. For those who don't know, that is the football game. Football the game. FC, um, yeah. Chesterfield FC game. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Grimsby lost 2 1. So uh, he, he thoroughly understood what an uh, angry <laughs> group of Grimsby people uh, can. <laughs> can look like pretty early doors <laughs> and I said we will not be having this at the premiere because we will make a wonderful film that represents the town in a lovely light uh, mm. but no yeah so so yeah casting casting's key man if you get casting right kind of 70% of your job's done mm. you know, I'd like, say 75 it could even yeah. go higher because yeah. 80 yeah. Could go final higher, answer. higher, final. Yeah. I, no, I agree. I think casting is it's because so, yeah. if it's wrong, yeah, it's done. Game over. You know, if you've got an investor who you know you says, "Oh, come so and so, my cousin's friend, be in it," and you're going, "Well, yeah, because that gets us to make the film." Sure, if that's yeah. how you want to do it, but be aware that that scene could be the worst scene in your yeah, film, yeah. Mm. and it could ruin it for everyone yeah. else. You have to know that. And take, I'd rather not make take it. That rent. That, really? that, that's my. That's my. That's, I mean, I, I've had op- opportunities where there's some very big people I could have cast, but mm. I just haven't because they weren't right. 
Mm. Um, which and, is, and I'd rather not do it with the wrong person. Which is very brave. And I think people starting out don't have necessarily have that choice because when you're starting out, you're, it's so hard to get your first film made mm. that you kind of do anything to yeah. get there. So I totally understand but the, but, for people who do. But these these people are also like, especially if you're telling what you, what you feel is an important story, these people are your conduits. Mm. Yeah. Like they're the one like carrying the the honor of, of this this story or representation of people, you know, whether it's suicide or grief or loss mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, struggling to make ends meet. If you choose someone that doesn't cut the mustard or, or doesn't care in the way that you care, you know, you're, you're just selling, you're selling the whole idea and everything that it represents down the drain. Yep. It's amazing, you know, having done three day millionaire and going through the process and going to all the markets and the festivals and speaking, you know, for the first time to proper salespeople and distributors, it is fucking uh, phenomenally sad how important named cast are in a film success. It's ninety percent of it, you know. It really, and it it's a joke that we're kind of as an industry, you know, in this position where you know you you will end up, you know, you're sacrificing art, you're making shitter films for big name, you know, to get names in that aren't right for the roles, and you know, there's probably ten actors that are, you know, maybe a hundred that are better for that role, mm. but you know, you can make a ten out of ten film. Um, with three out of ten cast, and you're going to have four out of ten results. But you can make a three out of ten film with ten out of ten cast, and you'll get nine out of ten results. You know, it's uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, but it is speaking it is. of cast, <laughs> how did you get your name on this? Yeah, <laughs> perfect because it was your original question. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Before I come to Colm and, and and Robbie and Jonas, um, is that it's it is a shame because you want to make a film but now you need a name in it you need a star and i mean that in the name inverted commas because now you can't sell your film and we've been to all these festivals and been doing it for so long if you don't have a name in your film they go i haven't got time to watch it yeah even if 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 Jude Law's in it for two seconds, if some ex-superstar's in it for two seconds, yeah. they will now pay attention because they can put that on the poster. Yeah. They might even watch the film. They don't care. They might even watch the trailer. Yeah. If you've got a huge star in it or the poster's amazing, so it's like, cool, yeah, we'll have that because I know I can sell it for 10 grand in uh, Czech Republic. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's the issue we have as filmmakers. They love Jude Law, aren't they? Uh, yeah, all right. Jude. 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 Law into himself. Yeah. Nah, but, uh, nah, first, nah, <laughs> first, nah, nah, We're all tired, nah, by the way. It's, it's, it's incredible. We've been doing this Q&A, Q&A tour for how yeah. many t- weeks? It's, it's only been a week and two days. Is no, it really? It, it's yeah. not. The thing is, it's, it's, so, it's so tiring when, you, when you're like on the road every day mm. and then you've got to like get up, check out, gotta get up. find some food, research where there's somewhere really delicious is for, for breakfast every day. Um, <laughs> make some puns. Same in the evening, mm. make some puns. Mm. And, then, and then you're on the road, you're driving and then you've got to set up, go to the cinema, meet a whole bunch of people, socialise, do the same thing every day. It's really, really tiring. Right. And then you've got, you're also doing this while the film's coming out. So yeah. you're, you're in yeah. the it Probably feels like your entire fucking identity is on the line. You know, yeah. people have opinions on your work. Some people love it. Some people hate it. And, you know, so you're kind of, you, you're dealing with all that. Mm. Um, you know, something that you've worked for five years on, you know, mm-hmm. 20% of your life. You know, and it's... People just dismiss it like yeah. that within a second. Oh, it's just yeah. another whatever film. Yeah, I mean, whatever the opinion is, yeah. it, you know, it, it takes it out on you. Mm. You know, and, it, and I'm not just talking about people's opinions, but, you know, just... You know, it can be scary putting something out there. You know, mm. like it's you, frightening. you're putting why yourself do, out there. That's why know? people don't yeah. do it. That's why people say, oh, I could have been a film. Oh, I could be a filmmaker. I could do it. But, but you're not because it, the, the scary part is it's not just the fear of failure. It's the fear of success. And it's that mm. will I 
what happens if I do well? What happens if I fail? So people don't do it. But actually, it's more brave just to go and do it and go, yeah, do you yeah. know what? So what? So what? I'm proud. It's because you know? you're in the hands of the gods at this point. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the, your, your work's kind of done. You know, you're doing mm. business press and, and touring and stuff. But yeah, it's kind of, mm. you know, in, in the hands of, of the other, other people. Yeah. You can do everything you, you, you can. You can try. I mean, this, this is why we're doing this, isn't it? It's, it's just. You try and give the yourself Q&A the best tour. chance. Yeah. Yeah, not the you, podcast. Not the podcast. Never podcast. <laughs> yeah. I the mean, podcast. on this film, we have not let, you know, we have done fucking everything we possibly can. Yeah, you know, yeah. genuinely, there is there is nothing left, you know, that we've, we haven't we've done. We've really knocked on the doors. We've pushed hard to get this cinema run. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, it wouldn't be happening if we hadn't knocked that door down oh, and yeah. made it happen. We wouldn't be doing the Q&A tour if we hadn't made that happen. Yeah. No one else is doing it for you and I think that's the lesson we've that's learned. That's why I call it the Torshank Redemption. Torshank Redemption. 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 One, one day we'll have the opportunity to tell some of the stories um, about financing this film, distributing mm. this film. Yeah, mm. now's not the time, but you know, the, <laughs> honestly, like I, I think you know, after five years of jumping over hurdles and essentially fighting to get this thing made and out there, and you know, it's like mm. I'm tired of the battles now. And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we were talking it there, but we, need, we need a little Christmas break. We and really uh, need a break because it's it, it, it's it's and look, we're not complaining. Listen, we've got a movie out in cinemas for God's sake. It's on yeah, the Sky man. Store now. It's on yeah. Prime now. Look, people love to have something yeah, like that. There's, listen, we're not moaning, we're not complaining, but we are. No, <laughs> but we're saying we're just explaining right now our headspace of how difficult it can be and yeah, in yeah. a wonderful way but also in a you're putting everything out there your yeah, soul em- your emotionally heart, exhausted emotionally exhausted yeah, absolutely it, it spent. is it is tiring and I, I think i think at the end of the day it's like it's not it isn't about complaining it, it's just sometimes it's nice to know because i think probably for the audience members when you've been battling to get stuff made mm-hmm. for a very long time yeah. there's so much soul destroying you know rejections and and no's and 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 years where you're thinking am i ever going to make this film am i going to make am i ever going to make this film and then when it does happen it, it is amazing but mm. there's so much of that in the background that's that's it, it, you know it's tiring and people need to know that that we go through that as well yeah that's why we're saying this right it's yeah. you know you're not alone you know no. you'll go through this you know we all get you know bloody edgar wright still mm. you know yeah, has imposter syndrome every day he's on set you know he talks yeah. openly about that you know like it's it, it's all part of you know even Spielberg with all this spiel yeah man we're, like, mm-hmm. we're emotional people you know we're merchants of emotion it's why we do our job you know we love humans we love people we love emotion you know we, we deal in emotion and um, yeah it's alright to be tired sometimes and need yeah. a break and you know put yourself first a little bit and, and, this, yeah. and, and I suppose what you're saying by that is that we love this Listen, oh, yeah. there's no question about it listen in, in we love a, it enough to do all this yes because in yeah. two weeks time we're gonna miss this like absolute crazy yeah but right now dom's face but well, you don't <laughs> but me and jack will because this is our you know what i mean yeah no no no, no. jack birthed something that yeah. in, when we get in that hot tub yeah. later be a water birth yes oh placenta yeah. from here to christmas so. wow right. um okay. let's talk about how this actually happened a little bit because yeah. i suppose people want to know um how it, what right host yeah, oh no! So go on, sorry, I forgot. Your host yeah. cheeky shit. Yeah. I forget. It's just I'm so used to it. So, so let's talk about how this happened. So this is this podcast is actually quite special, isn't it? And it's quite Thank you. it's quite poignant that um, that we are we are speaking <laughs> we are speaking about the film on this podcast because this is how we actually met. You know, yeah. this podcast. So I met Jazz as well. 
yeah so this, this trio of, of meeting uh, this this triangle of love started because it's very podcast and um yeah, I, I think I'd just done Destination Dewsbury, or yeah. it was just out or something. And being the cocky little 19-year-old that I was, uh, I sent Giles an email saying, I'm fucking great, get me on your podcast, you bitch. Exactly uh, <laughs> like that. And I went, oh, wow, he called me a bitch. I yeah. like it. I yeah. mean, no, but what I liked about that was the fact that you were very direct and very, you could you could tell your confidence, but not in, it was cocky, but it wasn't in a, I wasn't like, oh no this guy can go no, do one yeah. it was done in the exact right way and then I watched a film uh, yeah. Destiny Choose Me Wears I thought it was great and I went yeah I'm going to have this guy on yeah. um, and we did and we got on really well yeah and um, uh, I, I kind of used you as a little bit of a mentor after that you know mm. oh, Giles I've got this what do I do you know and I just Uncle naturally Giles. Uncle Giles has done you know this is movie number nine for you ten, ten. ten. Yeah. so Uncle Giles has uh, yeah you know made lots of movies and you know things that I hadn't done so I kept reaching out to Giles and then yeah one day we were we were most of the way there with financing but there was mm. a chunk to get and I reached out to Giles um, saying hey mate look this is where I'm at with, with Three Day Millionaire um, you know is there any way you can help do you know anyone that can help and um you know, one thing led to another and then, um, yeah, Giles, Giles came on to produce. Is that just... before or after you created the bromance of Shush films? That was before. Yeah, it's way before. Yeah. yeah. yeah so so before. that was, so that was, it was through this partnership of getting this green lit that you're like, hang on, let's, let's yeah. do more of this. Yeah. yeah. So, so Shush has three directors. Shush. It's not Shush. Well, this is great debate in the spring household. It's a great, great debate. Mrs. Shush. Spring. Um, we do arm wrestles about it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Spring says Ping I pong. say it wrong all the time. Um, what do you call it? Shush. Shush. So basically, Shush. so people don't Shush. know why we're just shushing you all right now. Shush. Is the, um, yeah, our film company now is called Shush Films, um, which Jack had already kind of, you'd set it up, right? Because you you, yeah. you were doing stuff with it. Yeah. But it just made sense for us to continue on that because 3 Day Millionaire was run through that. And then along with our fantastic third compadre in Shush Films, Andrew Pettit, we were like, well, let's form a company officially with the three of us. And, mm. and, and we did. I think and Andrew Pettit is petit. one of the best people in the film industry. He's, 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 he's a petit dejeuner. He, uh? A petit dejeuner. So, go on, do the pun again. Petit dejeuner. Brilliant. I don't know what that means. It like, means like a nice, <laughs> nice breakfast in, in French. Small breakfast. Uh, probably like, uh, I mean. <laughs> but like a small but really good breakfast. <laughs> So, I mean, he, Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> he went for a pun, and it just means something in French. I don't even know how to link this back to no, sensibility. You, you, you can't, because it's ridiculous. Uh, no, uh, we, we're very lucky to work with Andy. Um, yeah. you know, I think as a as a trio, we all have very different skills. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Andrew gets to levels of thought that us two just wouldn't ever get to. You know, he's fucking smart. So he's and very uh, smart. He runs businesses. You know, to have... It's something that I've always wanted in this industry is someone who is that, who understands money, understands mm. investment. And without him, there's no question this, we wouldn't be no. here now. Um, no, no and then we had all the other amazing investors who put some money in as well and just, just wonderful. Obviously, we did have one investor who pulled out um, just before we were filming. Love that. Naturally. So for me, no one knew Can't this either. Obviously Jack knew, um, Alexa knew, and Lucinda knew, but no one else knew on set. But it was very frightening mm. for me because not only am I script supervising and then the second week, first ATing, we're trying to find the money. We're trying to put that together to make sure the film doesn't fall off the rails. Because you go past the point of no, re no return with films where you have to commit and say, look, we're going to make this. Mm -hmm. We've got to start paying people. Yep. Uh, we've got to start getting people money to 
pay for prep, buy stuff, mm. booking accommodation yeah. because accommodation starts getting more and more expensive and, well, and especially when we're shooting in the summer, it was there was yeah. only one hotel that would have all of us. Yeah. And even then that was tricky to get yep. the right price that we Putting could afford down. for our film. Deposits, all that stuff you've got. Deposits for cast. You have to yeah. pay for. But to be honest, by this point, we were well past that. Mm. We were cast already rehearsing. We were going, yeah. baby. We were going. Yeah. And now we didn't have that, but that does, big chunk of money. But that does kind of work. I mean, it's, it's, it's always scary, but you do have to... You do sometimes have to commit before you're ready to commit. Well, that was it. We discussed it. Leap off the the diving board. Yeah. And I remember we did discuss this and you said to me, can we get through filming? And I remember saying to you at the time, yes, but actually going through the budget and going through everything, I was a little bit skeptical. My main point was I had to pay the cast and crew. Yeah. I couldn't mm. get, I just didn't want to be the film company on our first yeah, big yeah. film that went, Oh, we'll pay you in a couple of months. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. And we were like, don't worry. We'll bring investors down to set. We'll do all this. But then when you're in set, you're in the middle of it. It's really difficult yeah, to organize that when you're me and you yeah, yeah. are literally running around organizing yeah. everything else. Uh, it, it was, it, there was I no mean, question about it. It was tricky. There's, there's always the, I mean, traditional wisdom and it's correct is don't use your post money for the shoot. But if something falls through and you're halfway through shooting, get the bloody movie finished. Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, that, that, you know, and there's a lot of scenarios yeah. I think where indie filmmakers have to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not great because you don't have money for marketing and you do have to go out again. But if you've got something shot and you've got it in the can, yeah. you know, raising post isn't impossible. Well, it's but if easier. you don't finish it, then... Yes, it then, is easier. I think where our sort of issue was, we needed extra money in terms of because some of it was uh, BFI funds. Yeah. So because of that, there was no actual, there wasn't that 20% of BFI, well, technically it's 18 mm. in the UK, wasn't actually, it's 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 fake money. It's not real. You off, you need a um, uh, someone to come and put some money in and they take a percentage of that as well. So it's very, very confusing and it was. And in the middle of that, we were dealing with distribution deals as well. And that was fun. Mm. <laughs> And we move on from that chapter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we do. And next time we've learned so much from it. Um, and we'll go into more detail, I think, at some point in the future on all this. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm ridiculously proud of the film. Yeah. There's no question about it. It's fucking good, man. Yeah. No, we did good. Yeah. Cast did good. It was fucking the soundtrack. Walk Boys. Mm. Let's, talk about, let's, talk, let's talk briefly about the soundtrack. I think that's mm. a sort of... Uh, two things I like to cover before we go into sort of posts and I mean, we don't want to spend hours and hours but let's cover the soundtrack and let's cover the the visuals of the film and capturing Grimsby in a beautiful light and then we can talk about the release cool so soundtrack wise uh, the Waterboys were always in the script we assumed we'd never be able to afford the Waterboys um, came across a wonderful music supervisor called Connie Farr whose husband used to play for Grimsby Town Naturally. All connects back to Grimsby, Grimsby Town. Honestly, this, without being a Grimsby Town fan, we wouldn't have had a penny of this finance. We yep. wouldn't be sitting here today. No way. True. So I can never moan when they get battered 6 0 at Morecambe again. Oh, can I interject here as something that I have been telling people uh, occasionally now at talks and stuff, but actually, people get so bogged down in trying to find investors in places where they don't live. If you live in the tiny place in the middle of nowhere, find investors. Go to Investorville. <laughs> exactly. The town of Investorville right near you. But no, my point is investors come from anywhere. In the film industry, if you're going to head to London, the big city, or to LA, or to New York, to find your investors, why would they put money into your film? What makes you special? You're just another filmmaker. Whereas in your area, your small town, you're not just another filmmaker. You're a local filmmaker. That 
is huge. People overestimate this. And, and again, a huge tip is never ask someone directly for money. Just don't go up to some, someone says, oh, they're quite wealthy. Don't ever go, hey, would you like to invest in my film? It just doesn't work. What you say is, do you know anyone uh, who might like to invest in my film? Then what you find is next time they're at some nice event, they might be on the golf course, they say, oh, yeah, I was talking about maybe a film. Do you want to invest in a film? And they turn to that person you've spoken to and say, well, are you investing? Now you've potentially got two investors. But it's it's just so important that people around you, you ask does anyone know anyone who's who's doing well in their business? And it's an opportunity as well, right, for investors. You know, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I think when I was a kid and people were talking to me about investors, you think that you're going out like to Dragon's Den or out with a begging bucket. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. especially when it's EIS like we are, you know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a tax opportunity. A lot of these high net worth individuals um, are always on the lookout for EIS stuff. Um, you know, so it's a two way, you know, obviously we're, we're, you know, incredibly lucky to have the support we have. But, you know, I think, the more I go on this journey, the more I, well, the less I feel like I'm going out with a begging bucket saying, please get this finance so I can make my film and more it's, you know, this is, you know, we're always honest, this is risky, but it's fucking exciting. You've got the EIS, you've got all the other, you know, tax reasons to do it. We love you, you know, and you just get on with them as people, you know, we, like mm-hmm. all of our investors are just fucking lovely people. Lovely people. And, um, yeah, you know, like, you just, by the end of it, you become mates as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you are, we are, you know, yeah. we hang with our investors, like, yeah. We're mates, we go for drinks, we, you know, uh, yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. See him at Grinchy Sound Games all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because, you know, you just build that trust and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you're you all real normal people, you yeah. know. And yeah, you've got to talk to them like they're an investor, not uh, not, not like they're an investor, <laughs> sorry. You've got to talk to them like they're a normal person and actually find out what they're interested in and, and not just like talk mm-hmm. money, money, money. Oh, I'm scared. Can I have some money? Can yeah. I have some money? Mm-hmm. Just chat to them become actually you know that was always one of my things is like try and become friends with them first because you want to become friends with them and then the money will come if they're invested in you rather than trying to just sort of grab something yeah it's never felt to me like there's like i'm ever trying to sell them something Mm. like um, there's this kind of tactic or this like you know that's it don't don't, make it a tactic. i don't make friends with them so they stick money in my film like we just we're just engaged with what you know they find it quite cool what I do I find it cool you know they've all got interesting stories because mm. they're successful people mm. I don't know it never feels like people ask like, what do you say to investors like I'm never really selling anything you know like I'm passionate about what I do and they probably like that and you know I back myself to go far in this industry and make good stuff and yeah like I, I don't know it, it you know it, it just ne- it doesn't ever feel like like you imagined an investor director relationship would when you were a kid no passion goes far i think when you're pitching and even if it's to your mates when you're pitching and you're passionate about a project it comes across it mm. just does and people go oh i buy into that and you are to be honest our investors are buying into the person they're buying into you jack they're buying into the whole ethos of what this could be and the same with you listening they're buying into you and mm. if you're not passionate about your project going well we could make money i'm not really sure or it could be a good film i'm not sure it's crap bullshit you should want to make this with all your passion and all your heart and if you're not there's something wrong exactly don't do it, <laughs> yeah, don't do it. The find film. the project that you do get ridiculously passionate about yeah. because then you'll find the right people to back you did we did we finish the the music anecdote? No, music anecdote. <laughs> so yeah, Connie Farr 
um, her husband's Martin Gritton, who's a former centre forward for the Mighty Mariners. And um, Grimsby Town. Yeah, John Tonder, who does the commentary for Grimsby Town on Radio Amberside, um, and is a legend. He puts in touch. Um, and Connie had recently done, I think it was a commercial with the Waterboys, so knew their people and took the manager out and wine and dined them. And um, we wrote a letter to Mike Scott, the Waterboys singer, saying, you know, your songs have been in the script for the start. We love them. You know, they're kind of bread and butter of the film. And Mike Scott very kindly turned around and said, yep, yeah, have all the tracks, you know, for mates rates, basically. Yeah. And, um, still cost us, but it was mates cost rates us, to but, how much you know, it would we, be. I don't think we really ever thought we'd get them. No, we <laughs> didn't. Know, no we, didn't. we didn't. Well, um, there's, a, there's a small piece in the film. Uh, he's an Elvis singer and he was singing the Elvis song, obviously on stage, but we knew there was no way we could afford the Elvis song. Mm. So we just took the track out and just had him wailing we made something sound very similar but just <laughs> on the other side of the copyright it's laws. totally got <laughs> yeah. not suitable yeah, yeah it's not suitable <laughs> totally so you can you can pick but yeah the music wise yeah and then we got a composer to recreate some of the other tracks and made it sound exactly the way same but different sound. same but different and suddenly you now it feels familiar to the audience especially if you put in the actual what boys tracks spread out throughout the film they go that soundtrack was amazing Ooh. but actually there's only really three or four tracks you'd ever, yeah. ever actually know and uh, yeah just going on to the the vision of the film and capturing what Grimsby was like mm. as, a, as a place visually it's fucking amazing man like, I feel mm. so lucky to be the first people to actually do a proper film in Grimsby first people you, first you people. more than one person I mean, Joss. And everyone else made it. Uh, it's not just a one man band anymore. Um, anymore. <laughs> that was just a, a no, grammar, no, no, grammar no, joke, yeah. but uh, yeah, I appreciated yeah. the re rebuttal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a one man band back. It's only like seven or eight years ago. I, it was a one man band thing. Like mm. I'd hold the camera, I'd do the sound, I'd mm. write it. I'd, you know, like it's been, it's been pretty quick. <laughs> quick to uh, yeah. make proper movies. Lonely journey. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's not a lonely journey anymore. Like, no, not anymore. You know, better yeah. the start it was. The start, yeah, um, it can be frightening. Yeah. Um, but yes, the Grimsby is a place. You know, my, I spent a lot it of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of my childhood there. That's where my dad's Sorry. side of the family from, big Grimsby town fans. So I'm up there all the time. And yeah, got sent a script and I knew exactly where I wanted to shoot everything and um, did. And in the the town is very, had a very consistent look, especially anywhere near the kind of docks, that kind of red brick, uh, ex-industrial, romantic feel to it and um it was just perfect it's like walking around the universal lot you know on the mm. docks and the casbah they call it that area of the docks that we did a lot of filming on um it's remarkable and grimsby is a place i cannot recommend enough everyone's fucking lovely stuff's cheap um you know no one gave us any bother at all um council got right behind it everyone did you know the fun you know from the financiers yeah, yeah, people opening their doors during covid that yeah. let us shoot scenes in their bathrooms yeah. i find it very touching going up north because everyone is much friendlier 100 oh, they're yeah. just 100%. you go into like a shop oh, yeah. or a cafe and people are just warm yeah, yeah. i remember like, i lived in york for a couple of years uh, mm. which is where we're shooting the next movie and um mm -hmm. i remember getting on a bus and um, an old lady spoke to me i thought that's a bit weird she must be a pedophile uh, and then, wow. then, then I thought. Then the same thing. Then the same thing happened on the same bus journey. I was like, "Oh shit! No, the North's just different. Mm. Like this yeah. is normal. It's normal." Um, and yeah, it was shock for me the other way around. Growing up in Yorkshire and then coming down to London because I was so used. To, you'd say hello. Just you'd go, "Hello, you're all right." And someone would go, "Yeah, you're all right." There was you didn't need to do any more than that. Mm. Suddenly in London, if someone said, "You were like, why isn't people saying hello to me?" It's mm. horrible. It's, it's, it's so horrible. lonely. Like, I, <laughs> I grew up in South London. Um, that's why every film or TV show, whatever I've made, has it been in the north? Because 
everyone's nicer and I like nice people. North and, um, Not that there's not nice people in London, obviously. Now, but, speaking of nice people, though, to bring it back around to yeah. um, Andy Roger. Uh, Beard Roger. A wonderful, wonderful oh, cinematographer man. on this what one. What, how did you talk to him about the look you wanted? What What was the main things you said? Because he's you he, and him have nailed him. the look, the tone <laughs> yeah. of this film. Yeah, yeah. I go, mean, he... Take a break here. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> speak highly enough of Mr. Roger. Uh, what a guy. Uh, a, a fucking lovely human being. Yeah. A calming, yeah. wonderful human being. Lovely um, beard. Lovely beard. Mm. B, um, just a fucking great DOP. You know, unbelievable. Um, in terms of the brief I gave him, I think Grimsby gave me the brief, really. You know, again, that kind of red brick post-industrial look. And um, yeah, it, it, Grimsby looked very consistent throughout. Um, you know, which is always a challenge I'd faced on smaller budget stuff is shooting it in a place where stuff looks different. You know, like the last one we shot was in Leeds. So there's kind of ex-studenty stuff. There's the um, terraced housing stuff. There's the new stuff. Grimsby all kind of looks, you know, fairly uh, uniform, you know, within reason, obviously. And um, yeah, it, you know, I, I'd done my storyboarding. So, and the script kind of lent a certain style and a way of shooting and the fourth wall breaking was all in there and, you know, I have certain things I like, you know, symmetry and, you know, camera moves, certain camera moves. And I'd basically just given that to Andy and he did the rest. You know, I can't, I can't turn on a camera, never mind work out where to put lights or, you know, I'm not a technical director at all. I don't know what the fucking F-stop is. I know there's T-stops as well, but I couldn't tell you what the fuck they do. That's when we all stop for a, a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Andy Roger does know all that stuff, thank God. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, I'm a kind of acty director. He's teed yeah, up but yeah, you know, I mean, I cannot speak highly enough of the fella. Um, absolute gem. Most importantly, a lovely fucking human being. Um, mm. And just, and yeah, an honour to work with. And I, I I don't think it'll be our last rodeo together, let's no, say that much. No, definitely Brodeo. not. Brodeo. Brodeo. Nice. So you've got this beautiful film. Thank you. What's the What's the release plan? We were doing this delightful cinema tour. Yes. It's out as of yesterday. Where, where can we wow. buy it? Why should you buy it? You should buy it. Well, you should buy it because you're, yeah. you've listened to this podcast for so long for free all this time. So yeah, go support. Uh, no, it's uh, it's now out in cinemas, incredibly around the UK. It'll mm. be out in US and Europe very, very soon. We'll let you know. Obviously, we're shouting it from the rooftops as we always do. But it's in cinemas, in showcase cinemas in Parkway uh, up north as well. So look, if you're anywhere near any showcase, please do go support that. But it's also on Sky Store right now. It's on Amazon Prime, it's on iTunes, Rakuten, Google Play, all the places where you find good bloody films mm. this film is there now why you should watch it because it's a heartfelt feel good romp for all the family to quote South Park <laughs> yes but not for all the family uh, oh no yeah no. I'd a say, swearing, yeah. And swearing a, a bit there's a lot of swearing in it but also it's it's yeah it's, it's not aimed at anyone under really 13 but you should watch this because it, it means something it's got a lot of heart it's got a lot of care to it and it's funny as fuck and really, you should join the cinema tour, uh, especially if you're in film. Where because are, are we playing, Dom? Well, let me get the old uh, uh, Google Doc out. He hasn't got a Scooby, yeah, has he? has no After idea. After all my kind words earlier. I know, he's Kid's actually... not got a clue. Oh, no well, idea. You, you, can't, you can't end on a, on a, on a low <laughs> like that, you savages. <laughs> you right. monsters. On the 30th, we are going to Croydon and the David Lean, yeah. which is technically tomorrow. 
So this is Wednesday. Yeah. Not technically tomorrow. Yes, it is. Oh, oh, technically tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. because this podcast oh, yeah. is Jesus going out tomorrow. Okay. So technically, when yep. that goes out, it'll be tomorrow. Thursday, we're at London Kino. That's a nice, uh, the nice jolly there. Berman Z. The fourth, we are at Birmingham at the Custard Factory Mockingbird yeah. Cinema. That's the best sounding cinema we've had mm. on the tour. Yeah, like like Factory. like Hunger Games, Mocking Jay, but uh, without the carnage and uh, fighting for your life. And not, no, not, not how, much, it, mate. how many desserts you like, you'll be all over that custard. Exactly, exactly. I will. Uh, then we are back up north to Weatherby. Uh, cinema, where the Weatherby Jars. Whaler, nice ve- restaurant. Oh, have you been there before? I don't know. Uh, it's like a fish and chip restaurant. Oh, oh the fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm from Harrogate, so very, very close to that. So if mm. anyone happens to be near there, please, please do come and, and say hello. And happens to like Giles as well. well that's a tough <laughs> ask, though. More likely to be from near Harrogate. <laughs> then, then we're going to Bridport on the next day, uh, which is in Dorset. And then the next day in Northern Ireland to Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle, Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get that confused with North England, Newcastle, no. uh, or you'll be on a very long journey to nothing. <laughs> then we are back. Sounds like filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then on the 12th, we're, we're down to Portsmouth, near my home routes, on to Wareham the next day, and Dorset again on the 13th. And we're finishing off this uh, lovely shenanigan with Derby on the 14th. Of December. Uh, or oh, links to all that are where, Dom? Uh, on... The- the show notes. Yes, he got it. Yes. Yeah. Free there we go. Uh, there links we that go. are in the show notes. Do yeah. go check it out. They will be there. Honestly, come come Q&A tour, come support us that yeah. way. I mean, it's, if you're a filmmaker, it's such a good way to meet the filmmakers. I mean, you can go you can go to one of these boozing and schmoozing events. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which we will not, not be at. Not, not to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never going to. Uh, oh, man, I'm sick of that kind of shit. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I just, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just hate those things because it, you're just horrible. in a loud room. Everyone's drunk. People are all like pitching like nobody's business about everything. Come and watch the film. Yeah. Connect with people about something that you're there because it, it interests you and you like what work they've done. Mm. And then you meet them there and then you get to know them informally over a you know a, a period of time and that is the much the much the best way to network well we're more likely much more likely to if you then email us afterwards if we've met you yeah. and say actually you i mentioned this script to you or i didn't but yeah. here anything would yeah. you be interested in looking at and, this and, and it's not it's not because you've come i mean it, it's nice that you've come to support the thing but it's the fact that you're a small event it's quiet um, and you can remember what's happened. You're not just another shouty person in your ear saying, cast me or uh, be my crew member or, or whatever. You or know. take me for custard. Or take me for custard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the way to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> vegan yeah. custard. Mm. Yeah, has to be vegan. Mm. Me and Jared, like, I was obviously vegan for five years and now yep. jackets. Now the big man's joined the circus. Yes. Yeah. Nearly a year. I'm going to, I did say in Jan- uh, January 4th, I started being vegan. Um, I said that at Christmas I would let myself have a go on the old cheese board. Mm. That sounds some sort of weird euphemism. Jesus, Mary yeah. and Joseph. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Here Throw a go. Christmas one in there. Yeah, um, yeah. Christmas so cracker. Yeah. I'm sure my really uh, my insides are looking forward to that festival. You, fun. I'm mm. interested to know, and obviously you're in the documentary as well, about how that is going to play out. Uh, messy vegan documentary. Yeah, messy Anyway, enough of that. Mm. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Uh, and as a last question, Jack... Mm. what's your advice um, to mini Jack uh, I don't know if you were ever not really 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 tall I was born at 5 foot 10 well there we go okay technically gave birth to my mother born, born at age <laughs> born like at age 20 and skin <laughs> oh. so yeah. oh. what's your advice <laughs> to someone coming up the ranks who's trying to get into the film world and doesn't know what the hell to do learn the money side of it 
and I'm sick of saying it um, because every conversation I have with you know someone who wants to make films is uh, I give them the same advice and I'm pretty sure that no one has ever gone away and done it you know a very select through few mm. few people have because otherwise you'll just get stuck you know you get to a point in your short film world where you need money because you want to go make a feature film um and you so many people just get stuck kind of waiting for a producer to come and do it for them yeah then producers don't exist at that budget level you know if you're a producer that can raise money you're raising tens of millions of pounds because a that's where your bigger paycheck is and yep. b uh, they're the kind of films that have a lot higher chance of making money yeah um, so why the hell would they do your sub-million quid thing? You yes. know, they're, they're not. And um, there is a lot of entitlement there. Like, oh, you know, I've been trying for five or well, how many years like to, to do this or that. Mm. But, you know, there is no there is no handout, like, really. Yep. And, and you shouldn't expect it. If it happens, great, through hard work and fair enough. But most of it is sacrifice, going without and... Beg, borrowing, and stealing until you've until you've done something that's that's proven yourself. So don't do that. Yeah. And don't, don't keep making shorts forever. No one try and get that feature made. No film schools or universities, whatever, teach kids any other way. So I don't think it's like necessarily entitlement. I think I was just very lucky that someone outside. No, of any, sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes <laughs> of course. But I, I was very lucky to have been taught by you know producer and director duo how to raise money yeah. when I was eighteen, and that changed my life. And um, I always try and teach kids the same thing, but. You know, naturally as creatives, we're resistant to the word money or, you know, any kind of mention of having to raise money and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's so sad to see so many people just get stuck because, you know, they they kind of expect something else to happen. And yeah. I, I want to say both both of you, thank you. You know, Giles, you know, you came on board this and now, you know, we're, we're you know, a step up the ladder together. We're, we have a very exciting production company together. Genuinely a joint pleasure to work with you every day. And you, sir. Dom, I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, honestly. Uh, no, wow. genuinely. No, wow, 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 I'm kidding, wow, I'm kidding, wow. I'm kidding. No, genuinely, <sighs> you, you've done wonders on this tour. Yeah, and um, yes, I would like to make a very public thanks. You have oh. booked amazing venues, amazing accommodation. It has been a joy and a pleasure. Um, I'm saying this as if it's the end. We're only halfway through. I know. The pleasure um, is all mine at this uh, moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope that hot tub's on by now, by yes. the way. On that note. Well, if they didn't turn the hose off and it's overfilled. Yeah. And it's just spilling out into the world mm, like yeah. our film. It's probably going to check Jose. All right. Uh, go watch 3D. Jose. <laughs> you didn't is, just do that. Is pun. his name Jose? No, <laughs> or is that no, a racial just slur? Just name that yeah, works. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 3D Millionaire's out now. Go watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Much stuff. That was Giles Alderson and Jack Spring, producer and director of Three Day Millionaire. You're listening to the Filmmakers Podcast. Up the Mariners. He suddenly turned into some sort of cheesy DJ. I liked it. But don't forget the elevator quote. Come on, this is what oh. we do every oh, end but I of never the remember podcast. it. And you never you never send it to me in an email so I can I just memorize it, it. I send it back down to you every episode. Oh. <laughs> what do I send to you? And remember, if you're lucky enough to make it up to the top. <laughs> Ah. It's good, it's close. Keep going, I'm enjoying it. And remember, if you're lucky to send it up, and remember, if you're lucky to make it to the top, <laughs> be good enough to send the elevator back down. We'll take that. A million thanks. Dom Lamar, thank you for hosting. You've been amazing. Thank you, Jas. Pleasure. We will see you all next Tuesday, as always, because we have on Lady Chatterley's Lover, Hooray! which Dom Primo hosted on his own because I've been. Well, in Connor was there, but. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> which, Sorry, Connor. <laughs> Primo hosted on your own, but Connor yeah. was co-hosting. Yeah, with there you. we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so join us for that next week, mm. uh, and we will see you very soon, hopefully in the cinemas. Yes, come join us. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, mate. Cheers, yeah. Dom. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.